Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hi, this is Jocelyn Poole um, from Better Tech. Welcome, Andre Rebrev. We're really excited to have you here and talk a little bit about your role at uh, Scentbird. Um, maybe you can start by giving us a, a little bit of background on what you're doing today and how you got there. Of course, and thank you for having me here today. So as you said, I am CTO and co-founder at Scentbird, but the way how I got there is uh, kind of interesting because I am um, originally from Russia. I'm graduated from the aerospace university, and people usually ask, "Well, like, how come the aerospace engineer Asperstehi now sells perfume and wine?" <laughs> and it was all about my passion around engineering and how to build great things, how to build useful things. And I went through couple of big enterprise uh, companies that this is where I realized that I want to work for startup in a fast moving environment when you make decision, you own the consequences, uh, but you move fast, you make something valuable and something that people really want. And then uh, by accident, it was a turning accident, I got to the uh, hackathon back in Moscow. And as I found out two months later, one of the organizers was my future co-founder, Sergey, who was looking for a technical co-founder, because at the time, he and Maria, our CEO, did a test and they found out that people want to buy perfume online, but they need two things to make it happen from technical perspective. First, uh, the algorithm, the recommendation algorithm, and second, a technical co-founder who can build this and who can build the um, team that will build the website and everything around it. So 10, almost 11 years later, uh, here I am. And uh, since then, a lot of things changed, but the original idea since exists, it is how to make it less riskier and much more interesting to buy perfume online. Amazing. Um, so do I, I think I have this right. You, you're a, are you like a rocket scientist who became a, an entrepreneur? More or less. Yes. Nice. And they say it's not rocket science. You're like, yes, it, it definitely would be. <laughs> um, this is very interesting to me that people want to buy online, but they needed to kind of get unblocked uh, with the technical tools. When you think about strategically, I'm sure there's a ton of operational stuff that just has to get done, but strategically, what are the pillars of important technical support for this type of effort that you think about? You mentioned personalization as one, like mm -hmm. how, what are the other big tectonic plates that we need to think about? Sure. So since we are talking about uh, e-commerce, e-commerce or subscriptions are very close to each other, uh, another part will be payments because you have to make sure that you have your payment stack working properly, you bill people correctly, if they want a refund, the refund works smoothly, you can deal with chargebacks, you can deal with fraud. So the whole payment thing is super important. The second part that also comes from the customer need is around order transparency. People want to know what's going on with the order. I think we live in the world when like Amazon changed our expectation around fulfillment, around shipment. So we, know, we want to know exactly what's going on with the order. Is it in the warehouse? Is it moving somewhere? Is it out for delivery? So supporting that is obviously the big part of our service. And as you said, the personalization is quite important. And personalization by itself is quite a big word. It's a big buzzword in e-commerce uh, industry, not just right now, but 
past two or three, five years, maybe already. Uh, and it goes the wrong way. It starts with the meeting your customer where they exist and up to perfume recommendations, easy way to find thing, uh, things online, uh, good working search, um, nice working emails, things like that. So yeah, everything you've described is um, required, but incredibly complicated very quickly, right? Um, I think probably a lot of payments work, you could c collaborate with other um, services, right? A, a lot of good work has gone into that. Um, would you say that it's really around fulfillment and customer uh, preferences and personalization where your specialty, where technology is giving you the most lift? I would say the most lift comes from the operations because when we started, we used to work with uh, 3PL, uh, third-party logistics providers, who did shipment fulfillment for us. But at some point when we had around 120, 150,000 subscribers, we had to take over this part of the business as well and do it ourselves because quick enough, it became very complicated uh, because... The way how our subscription works is it's not the same box for everyone. You can, you can, and that's the whole promise, you can customize, you can pick what you get next month, and we give you a variety of 700 different perfumes. You can have multiple products in your box, and you can add different add-on products on top of that. So from operation perspective, soon enough it become quite madness because people expectation even for subscription when people give companies a little bit more slack in terms of how fast the order should be should arrive to them unless it's some kind of perishable goods people still have high expectation in terms of how fast they want to see the order and we wanted to shorten the cycle between the charge and the shipment hitting the our customer doors. So, and on top of that, we only can ship uh, ground because perfume is a flammable liquid. You cannot you technically you can ship it by air, but it is very expensive. We don't want to make our subscription too expensive for our end users. So, we decided to affect what we what we could how fast we can ship orders in the warehouse so even right now not not even right now but i would say every day our ops team comes up with new idea and obviously we have to support it from the infrastructure from the system perspective so now our ops team can ship almost 120,000 orders in under four days and this is pretty impressive but i would say technology takes a big part in this but we should, for the audience, just explain what Scentbird exactly mm -hmm. does and what uh, what it does for what 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 consumers in particular are interested in when they subscribe. Mm -hmm. Of course. So Scentbird is a subscription for perfumes and colognes, and the way how it works is pretty simple. So usually, when we buy perfume, uh, we think of big department store where we go, we pick pretty large perfume bottle, 50, 100, 150 milliliters, but we never use it in full. Um, but as human, we love to try new things. So what might happen, and that's actually what we observed, a lot of people might have five, six, seven perfume bottles on their shelves, half full, uh, and people want to try more, but it's really hard to justify another purchase when you already spend, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred uh, dollars on all, all these bottles. It depends on your taste and choice. So we... Once we understood the problem, we come up with a solution of perfume repackaging. So what we sell is eight milliliters of perfumes of your choice that you pick uh, up front. So it works like a net, like old Netflix. When you have a queue, you select perfumes for the next 12 months. 
And that's pretty much it, unless you find something interesting in the new launches that we have on the website every month, you can just leave it as this, and every month we will charge you and we'll ship a product uh, right to your door. Amazing. So it's kind of like a fragment, uh, fragmented ownership of a... <laughs> exactly, yes. Okay, that's great. That's right. You know, it is more fun to shop for a new scent because you're trying a bunch of different things uh, than it Correct. is sometimes uh, once you own it. That's right. Um, so when you're thinking about this kind of model, you know, there's a lot of subscription models out there. Um, you guys are experts now. Uh, if I was just starting off, what, what advice would you give me of like, what's the most important thing and what's changing the most in your business right now? It's a good question because when we started, um, subscriptions were on the rise and it was... I wouldn't say easy to impress a customer, but it was easy to stand out. Now, these days, you have 10 subscriptions for your vitamins, 15 subscriptions for calls, and so on and so forth. So I would say if you decide to launch a subscription, make sure that you launch something that people really need and something that is truly unique. So for example, myself, I'm a big fan of various subscriptions. Uh, aside of various streaming services, I do buy a lot of uh, from D2C brands that I like because of what they do and how they do it. Because one example could be creatine. Like I exercise a lot, I understand that creatine is important. So on one hand, I can go and buy them in my local pharmacy. But on the other hand, I found this product and they create amazing creatine gummies. Tastes great. It's it's fun to consume that them. So I subscribe because I want to support the business that I like. So I would say, number one thing, make sure that you make something that people will enjoy. And second, um, don't disappoint uh, your customers from operation perspective because what people don't like is lack of transparency so if something goes wrong just tell your, your consumers they will understand it uh, we had plenty of examples in our past uh, when for example the warehouse that we used at the time was located in georgia and georgia, georgia was hit by snowstorm pretty hard so we said Hey, unfortunately, this month, all the shipments will be delayed because of the snowstorm. We had to close our warehouse because we can't take care of our people. And actually, we got a lot of very warm emails from our customers who said, hey, we appreciate what you do for your employees. So let's say great product, transparency in terms of what you do, and um, never get satisfied with what you do. Like always try to improve what you do. And like when when you do this, you understand what you need from, from the technology and technology will come. That's great. In terms of offering that transparency I, you know i've heard this theme a couple times of really understanding that uh, shipping and operations through line and trans being transparent and communicative how do you um how do you know how people are feeling about it what are your tools when you think you know uh, people will tell you certainly but there must be other ways Yes, the, like the most obvious way is to ask people. So we have a lot of uh, ways to collect the feedback from the customers. But we also do a lot of analytics around what's going on. So for example, since we track every shipment, we know what is the what should be the average delivery time from our warehouse to certain area, let's say to Washington, D.C. So if, let's say, we, we will see there is a delay, then we 
can connect it to people who might unsubscribe because of that. Because So that's another thing that unfortunately not that many companies are doing. They don't dig deeper in the data they have. And having data these days is not hard. What's hard is actually to dig deeper, go beyond the obvious level of, I don't know, NPS scores and things like that. Because as soon as you start getting into, as soon as you start asking questions, why? You'll find some questions, you'll find some interesting things. So like you can connect the delivery speed to retention. And this, this is actually something that like all these numbers, they'll give you a question, is it worth it? So for example, if you connect delivery speed, let's say you you decide to try a new career and you cut one delivery day by, by one day, then you connect it to the customer retention. And then you will actually see that if you deliver, if you spend extra dollar per delivery speed, then mm-hmm. you actually get much more dollars in return because people stay longer with you. So all of this is inside. So data is very important part of our business. Interesting. So that data gives you some context, right, on on where to invest, and you yes. get a chance to see. Uh, I always think this is interesting. See what people really do versus what they say they're yeah. going to do, because they're both valid, but sometimes they don't match up. Yes, and sometimes we see it in from our customers because sometimes people say, "Hey, something just ha- something just happened on the website. I didn't do this," and data tells you, "No, it actually happened." And sometimes it's just a funny anecdote. Sometimes it's actually a way to find out about fraud or some like someone using so like I think one of the situation was when lady contacted us and said, hey, I see charges on my card. And we figured out that her ex-boyfriend actually remembered her credit card details. And now he's using this uh, everywhere on the internet. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You know, it's like data protect, basic data protections that we all, any any payer, anybody who's processing payments has certain requirements. Um, uh, A lot of that's been kind of strong armed over time. But now with so much data coming in, like what, and you, it's okay if you have, if you don't want to talk about it, cause it may be proprietary, but like, what are your thoughts around protecting people's privacy and their preferences? How, how have you evolved your thinking there? That's one thing that keeps me up at night, uh, if you ask me, uh, because unfortunately, we lived in the times when you cannot just install some software and assume that now you're fully safe. No, it's, it's the constant arm race and you have to keep up with all the hackers. So we do a lot of things on the front. We work with platform like uh, HackerOne that allows us to involve white hat hackers who like try to who try to penetrate our platform so we can find bugs this way we constantly update our um infrastructure and all the system to ensure that we have all the security patches we educate our employees around around security don't click on links like don't uh, assume that people who pretend to be our ceo is actually our ceo things like that but another level of this is to understand modern standards about the data and actually know where your data is, because it is very easy to connect to a new email service provider or mm-hmm. a new analytical platform. But in many cases, company don't realize what kind of data they have and where it actually is being stored. So I would say, yes, on one hand, it is very painful to be compliant with all the regulations, especially when every state has their own regulation. But on the other hand, it forces people to spend money on protection, on proper security measures, security protocols, proper proper architecture even. And mm-hmm. what it comes down to is having the right tool that tells you, hey, like this is the catalog of services that you use. This is uh, like each service has, uh, stores each uh, this type of data. 
they have their servers located in this region and that's what companies should know about the data so because that will allow them to be uh, again transparent uh, in front of their customers when customers request hey like what kind of data do you have about me can i see this data can you delete this data about me and this is this becomes um, a common request and uh, companies have to become fine with it Right. That's interesting. I think that's interesting. There's a lot of silos and pockets of data to keep track of, right? Uh, as well as a lot of different pockets of regulation. I forgot. Oh, yeah, because yeah, you're inter you're international as well, right? So we are going international. So, but okay. even if you just stay in the United States, we have California, we CRPA, we have New York, we have Chicago. Like in every uh, yeah. state now, like either already have certain regulation about it or is working on it. So. It, it is a question the consumers of consumers are located there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Interesting. Hey. Well, I want to ask you more about Scentbird and how it's going, but I feel like it's a, I don't know if you know, we've, there's a new rule been passed that you can't have any technology discussions without talking about generative AI. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> every, every interview has to include a at least one question. Um, and since we're talking a little bit about data, data is such mm -hmm. a big of Gen AI. Have you have you thought a little bit about is that going to affect the subscription e-commerce world uh anytime soon for you? Or what are your thoughts there? It is already affecting. Uh right now it affects companies like on one hand in small ways. So for example, our engineers use copilot that helps them to deal with simple tasks. Our marketing team sometimes use Gen AI to create some copy and see how it works. Same goes for images, same goes for video editing, things like that. Will Generative TI create products for subscription? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not. We already see, I know there are some companies, for example, in pharmaceutical space that use Generative AI to come up with new um, medicine formulas. Mm -hmm. um, I know that some designers, for example, use Generative AI to create new um, fashion collections. So it's already there. So whether we want it or not, uh, I would say it's already happening. Will we fraud, see this? like fraud and yeah. payments and all that stuff. It's already there. That's right. It's already there. Uh, I would say one thing that we also uh, might not realize, but customer support in many cases when like it's getting smoother than before, because I, I bet everyone had this bad experience with robo, like robo voice answering your questions and you are constantly demanding talking to a human, a human representative, but it's getting better. It's getting smoother. And sometimes we cannot realize that actually some kind of bot answered our questions and made us satisfied. So it is there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, let's swing back to, you know, you're one of the founders, right? Of mm -hmm. Stanford. And so um, tell me, like, how's it going? How big are you guys today? Um, mm -hmm. What's new and exciting? And uh, what are you thinking about the is on your roadmap? Oh, um, so in terms of how big we passed uh, 600,000 subscribers early this year. So it's a pretty big mark for us. Uh, we know that it's uh, no, not the end. It's just some step in our journey uh the fragrance market in united states is is much much larger i think we are about you know less than percent i believe uh but one of our next big plan is to go international truly international and we look into european markets because obviously there is a lot of demand for a good fragrance like they produce a lot of great fragrances but uh as we see we have certain copycats in that market and we think that if we come there and do it the right way we'll be able, we'll be able to uh find our own niche there another 
uh, ideas idea that we have is to expand our offering because last year we acquired another subscription business called drift.co they mm -hmm. produce this amazing car fresheners so not your average uh um, pine trees uh, that other people are annoyed of. Uh, they have this nice either wooden or st stone uh, pieces uh, soaked in oil and that smells really great. Like just this morning I changed it to coffee, my favorite aroma and like people compliment my car. I um, I need that right now <laughs> and I want you to do like a massive corporate deal with Uber because that is my big complaint about Uber. I'm very, you know, it really affects me. I don't know why. My kids would laugh if they heard this right now because they're like, no, I, I get it. I get it. Yes. So like drift and like I, I live in New York area. Every time I get in the, in the yellow cap, I think we I need to make a deal with this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we, we might do something about it. Sorry, like, I got distracted there. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's, that's fine. That's fine. Product line. <laughs> so I can try a lot of other verticals related to fragrances. Uh, so we do some research in this area and see maybe we should go there. So, so something might happen uh, in that area next year as well. But on top of that, it's the constant improvement on the website. Uh, one big opportunity and one big area is personalization because as I said, personalization is a big umbrella for a lot of nice and small things sometimes. So better search. Can we search, talk about but... that for a second? I just feel of like course. everyone talks about personalization, right? Um, but it seems like it's getting harder and harder to do. Is that right? I mean, we have so much more data and yet, I don't know, people want more personalization than they're getting somehow. What do you think's going on there? I would say part of this conundrum is that since it became a buzzword, a lot of vendors out there just put a personalization service on their homepage. And when you talk to them, they actually do very different things. And that was my big uh, headache earlier this year when I when I decided, hey, it's time for Sandberg to go this route. And I started to talk company. And for a very long period of time, I couldn't understand what's going on because I talked to a new company, they do one thing. I, I call, I talk to another one, they talk to they talk about different stuff. So, and then I decided to approach it differently and say, hey. What does personalization mean for Sandbird and Sandbird customers? Because we all do the we do this to make a better experience for end users. So we said, hey, let's reverse this communication and start like what our customers would love to see us do better. And it comes down to communication. So we saw the key how we can make our communication better better so it resonates with people starting from better copy and up to getting less emails, but emails that are more relevant to you, the website. So one of the biggest problems that we have, we have so many offerings and sometimes we might annoy our customers with all these pop-ups. So why are we showing all these pop-ups? Maybe we need to show just one or two that will be again, relevant to people. Quizzes, because people want, people want to have a great discovery process they are ready to share the data with you, but they want to use this data. They want to know this data is being used properly and the data is being used to give them better recommendation. They want explanation why certain perfume was recommended to them. So this is where mm. our personalization efforts are going in right now. Is so a lot of things like that. You're, you're editing, you're almost taking some things away, building that trust so that the personalization you do will land and doesn't yes. seem you know, transactional. Because... For, I'll give you an example. On our website, we have a lot of niche perfumes. And sometimes people might ask, like, how, like, I, I read all these notes, but separately, they make sense to me. I understand uh, orange. I understand patchouli. I understand lilac separately. 
But then they, when they are combined, I have no idea how they will smell. So knowing myself, I, I gave information about what perfumes do I like right now. I gave the reason why I need new perfume. I want a new perfume that I will wear to my day job. So give, please explain to me why do you recommend me this? And this is where personalization can truly uh, shine and give you a lot of benefit. Interesting. I like that. Um, so going forward... Um, you know, well, actually, what I was going to ask you a little bit about is it seems like some interesting themes have arrived here. If you were um, investing, like a new investor came in and was looking at, there's so many subscription services out there, right? And if you're not yeah. familiar with it, um, I'm hearing some basic themes. So like, what should an investor look for? I know you said one thing is like, there's a real need there. I'm hearing like you have a domain expertise in fragrance. Like what are, the, what are those key components that an investor is they're evaluating multiple subscriptions? models or subscription type companies what should they think about uh that's a very good question um uh, because like when people look at the company from the surface it sometimes could be one story but when they look inside it's a completely different story An investor actually has an opportunity to look for, on both sides and i would say great subscription businesses are sticky in a good way meaning that people have a seamless experience using this uh one of the great examples that i have is door shave club that's one another one barkbox barkbox is one of my favorite subscription even if even if i don't have a dog i really love what these guys are doing because they have very great way to to talk to people they have great product they have fun instagram so it's just a great great business by itself because they have great product and people love it and i would say when people love your product they will stay with you uh even in the hard times mm -hmm. but from the other side what investor should look at are company financials and i've been telling this everyone i've been extremely lucky that i was working very close with our finance team because uh in many cases some founders maybe might say hey i i, I will hire a finance team and I, I will let them do the thing because accounting is boring or it's too complicated but accounting actually gives you a full understanding of what's going on and like when you see discrepancies in charges and revenue things like that you might understand that something is wrong with your business and i would say obviously all investors are doing financial analysis and that's a proper thing but look how look for the two teams how company handles their finance first the company should be lean and i would say lean being lean helped us to go through the covid to go through the last year when the economy when economy was so so and the second thing is how accurate the company is around the financial how often do they pursue accuracy in all the numbers how like how often do they check all the discrepancies in terms of charges and shipments, things like that, because that it feels will tell like this. you shouldn't have to talk about that, but that's true. <laughs> it feels like you shouldn't have to say, make sure that it's accurate and timely, uh, but you know, these things get out of whack. Yes. Like, and we, we see it in some bad ways. I just recently finished the uh, book by Michael Lewis, uh, going infinite about um, FTX and oh, that complete. That. Yes. I love Mike Lewis because he always gives a lot of insights about in certain uh, areas. But when you read about this company, it just fascinates how fast all like the million and billion stop making sense for you and for people with just some kind of mono uh, monopoly money uh, without real value. And like when people ask, "Hey, like we can find millions of dollars," you can just understand how how it happened. 
And yes, in startups, it happens. Obviously, it happens on a different scales. But when founders can understand what's going on with the financial, with money going in and going out, that's usually a bad sign. It's interesting. I think just correlating back to what you're saying, too, it seems like it's particularly important in a subscription business where the information is flying in very, very quickly. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's not quarterly. It's literally every two weeks, the picture changes. Probably. Picture changes really fast. And um, subscription requires even more accuracy and discipline than e-commerce because you know that you have a very limited period of time between like one wave of orders and another wave of orders, and you need to find a way how to improve what you do, test it on a small scale, and then when the moment comes, make sure that everything works properly. So it's not like with e-commerce, you have these big days of uh, like Black Friday. You have a spike of some kind for yes. like shopping days. Yeah, now I, I feel like I want to work for a subscription company. That sounds pretty like terrifying and exciting. It is exciting, yes. <laughs> Sometimes it could be terrifying, uh, terrifying <laughs> when something goes wrong, but this is life. <laughs> well, listen, it's really, uh, really great to get a chance to pull up with you, Andre, and understand a little bit more about Scentbird, and it's doing great, um, and congratulations on that, and, and also helping our listeners understand a little bit more about the business model and the play of data and technology. My last question for you is, what kind of scent do you wear like do you wear scent and if so is it orange or patchouli <laughs> so i like over the years i picked a lot of fragrances that i really like uh in uh, like recently my big my big go-to is um uh how it's called uh dirty hinoki it's a great brand they have a lot of interesting offerings so mm. this is my uh, perfume I should, have I should have started here like what's cool <laughs> what's, what's cool in the niche fragrance space but now we know we have at least one to look for and we'll go to the website and look for the rest of them thank you andre thanks so much for coming on better tech it was great to chat. thank you we look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode in the meantime Check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.